uh, Acts 4, and we've been in the book of Acts and talking about our victory, that no matter what we're facing in life, no matter what we're going through, we can still have spiritual victory through our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and the book of Acts, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been really focusing on that's what the book of Acts is about, the, the Acts of, not the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're fo- focusing on, <clears throat> and we're going to need that power because we're going to see here in Acts chapter 4 the beginning of persecution, the beginning of persecution, and there's a lot of parallels to the USA today as we go forward, starting today and ne- next time uh, and, and beyond. We're going to see a lot of parallels to what we're starting to experience here in the USA today, but also Christians all over the world are already experiencing much, much worse. So that we'll, we'll be hitting this as we go. But the title for today is The Apostles' Witness in the Spirit's Power, and So Can We. And so can we. Acts 4, 1 to 14. Let's, uh, well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and thank you for the worship and, and pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your word and the Holy Spirit's power. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so speaking of witnessing, I don't know if you've been follow, if you followed March Madness this year, the, the, the men's basketball, I follow both men's and women's, but the men's basketball, there was especially a lot of witnessing, a lot of witnessing. I shouldn't say just the men because the women's had it too, uh, the one point guard for uh, UConn. Every time after a game, she thanked God and made a real big point of that, and so that was really encouraging. And also Oral Roberts and the men's uh, Tournament. Oral Roberts made a big splash this year. Uh, I think they made Sweet 16. They went really far, and and they were at, uh, they were attacked for their biblical beliefs. I don't know if you were following that whole thing. People are saying they shouldn't even be allowed in this tournament because the NCAA shouldn't even allow a team like that in because they don't believe in X, Y, and Z. And that, you know they're talking about biblical because of their biblical beliefs. They were attacked for their biblical beliefs, and that's what Acts 4 we're going to see is all about. And then cancel culture's worst nightmare. And cancel culture at the base of it really is to cancel Jesus Christ. Don't miss the next time. Next time, Josh, one after that, going to really hit the second part of Acts 4. And we're going to see that the cancel culture's real, true goal is to cancel Jesus Christ. Then it started in the book of Acts, and we're going to see it going on and on. So just wait till you see this. But their worst nightmare was realized when Balor won the NCAA tournament for the first time ever. I don't know if you realize what Balor's all about. Uh, not a perfect Christian school, but uh, there's some, some, a lot of witness going on there. In fact, uh, I'm just going to read you some highlights from it. Balor team praises God after first ever NCAA championship. Balor players celebrated and gave glory to God after the championship game against Gonzaga in the men's final four uh, tournament, April 5th. Celebrating today after winning their first ever NCAA college tournament, the private Christian university, Thank, the team thanked God in prayer as they stood in a circle on the court after the game. A lot of teams do that. Mm, well, well, listen to this. The Bears' Jared Butler was named the final four most outstanding player. He gave thanks to the Lord after the game. I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel. Thank you, Jared. Uh, good. But our Lord and Savior, I say it all the time, he gets us through everything. Jesus Christ, he's the truth. Hmm. He was with us tonight, he was with us all season, and he's with us wherever we go. He just sustained us, brought us together, and brought this team together, and on and on. And the coach, also a very strong Christian coach, Scott Drew, 
He, the, he took over in 2003. The men's basketball team was a mess. I don't know if you remember all the craziness that was going on at Valor at that time with a team. But Coach Drew has built the team back up using a culture called JOY, which stands for Jesus, others, and yourself. So lots of witnessing. Cancel culture's worst nightmare. Uh, and we'll talk more about that next time. All right? So... We're going to focus on standing up to the cancel culture next time, but today I want to focus on how to witness in the Spirit's power. And we see this in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to do the first 14 verses uh, today, and we'll read that. It says, verse 1, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. <clears> the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Remember talking about the healing, right? The healing. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all these people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see this, the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Wow, we're going to have fun with this one. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to read it again. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because of the apostles were teaching the people and the uh, teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The key word in these, these first two verses, the key word is Sadducees. Sadducees. The Sadducees were religious leaders. They were a, a, a religious group, but they were really political. They, they had a religious power, but they were really a political group. <clears throat> they would be considered the liberal apostate Christians of today. That's what they would be considered. They were pro-Rome, pro-Rome, which means they were all about compromise. They were all about compromise, and they were also compromised spiritually, very, very much so. That's why they were out to get Jesus and now out to get the apostles. Uh, they, they had a political worldview. Everything 
to them was went through not the God's word, but their their political worldview. And and so it was all about keeping power. Does that sound familiar? Anyway, we're not going to go there. But it's all about keeping power. And 70 percent of the Sanhedrin was at this time. That's the, the, the religious ruling group. The 70 percent of the Sanhedrin at Jesus time that was, he was crucified were Sadducees. Sadducees, okay, and they constantly battled the Pharisees, the Pharisees, who were the conservative uh, religious party of the time. They were conservative, but they were also very legalistic, and they were also in on killing Jesus. They were very legalistic, okay? And so just to help you remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, there's a kid's song. A lot of you know this. I think I've done parts of it before, but I'm going to do the whole, whole thing. But it starts out, uh, <clears throat> help me out with this. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. Come on. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. Don't want to be a wolf. No. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Because they're not fair, you see. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back. Okay, hang on to that. That's the Pharisees, right? They're not fair. If you've ever been to VBS, you know the song. All right. All right, so. Now, the Sadducees were fighting them all the time. They claimed to believe the Torah. They claimed to believe that, but they denied the resurrection of the dead. They denied there was any supernatural or the resurrection of the dead. That's why I call them the liberal apostate Christians of today. And I use that term Christian loosely with that group, right? Uh, you know, Christianity with a K. But anyway, <clears throat> that, that's why they were so sad. That's why they were so sad. That's why they're called sad, sad, you see, because they don't believe that there's anything after this life. Wouldn't that make you sad? Right? Uh, and that's where the song goes again. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. I just want to be a sheep. Don't want to be a wolf. Oh, good. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. I don't want to be a sad, you see. I don't want to be a sad, you see. Because they're too sad, you see. I don't want to be a sad, you see. No, I just want to be a sheep. I just want to be a sheep. Don't want to be a wolf. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. Yeah. Okay, good. You got it. You got it. All right. <laughs> All right. So, yes, it is live. Oh, yeah. She was just, is this live? <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, that's why they're so sad, right? You would be sad if, wouldn't you be sad, and I'm joking about the sad, you see, but you would be sad if this was all there was to life, right? I mean, there's no life after this with Jesus in heaven someday. And, and Caiaphas, the high priest at this time, was a Sadducee. Now, notice there's Caiaphas and then there's Annas. And you say, wait, wait, one time it says Annas, one time they say Caiaphas. Annas was the true high priest. But the Romans removed him because he ticked them off. And so they said, you can't be the high priest. So he appointed his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And, the, and so he, Caiaphas became the high priest. But it's used interchangeably in the Bible because, Caiaphas, because really Anna, he, he was a puppet. He was a puppet to Annas. All right? And that's why you'll see Annas high priest, Caiaphas high priest. Caiaphas was the one who was functioning in the Rome's eyes as a high priest with the crucifixion of Jesus. That's why in, in John chapter 11, remember back in John chapter 11 what Caiaphas said? He, he was a prophet unaware. He made a prophetic statement when he said, uh, Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Prophecy. 
He was a prophet unaware. He didn't even know he was being prophetic, but he was. He was. That's exactly what Jesus did. One man died for all of us. So they found Caiaphas's tomb. They actually found his family tomb. Archaeologists some years ago, about 20 years ago now, they found the family tomb, and they also found his likely his actual burial box. What they did is after the bodies disintegrated, they would put all the, what was left, bones and stuff, in this burial box. And they found this burial box, too. And it was covered with pagan symbols. Pagan. He was, like I said, liberal, positive Christians. They're not Christians. They're pagans, you know. They don't believe in Jesus. They've invented their own Jesus to follow, right? And that's what, and that's why those churches are hemorrhaging. These liberal, apostate, mainline churches are hemorrhaging because they don't believe in Jesus. They've invented their own Jesus and they're disintegrating. They're disappearing. It's just a matter of time before they're gone. And that's what happened with Caiaphas. They found it was covered with pagan symbols and there was also a little Roman coin laying in that, that, that box. Why would there be a little Roman coin in his burial box? Because the pagan practice at the time is, is even though he didn't believe in the resurrection, he covered all his bases. And the pagan practice at the time, they put a little coin in their mouth. So when we got to the river Styx, they would give that coin to the, the pagan god Sharon, and Sharon would let them over the river Styx into the next life. But he didn't, he didn't believe in it, but he covered all of his bases, except he missed the most important base. It was standing right in front of him, Jesus Christ, who he, he was part of condemning to the cross. He missed that part, right? Crazy, crazy. That's, that's a sad Sadducee, right? That's a sad Sadducee. And now you can see why the Sadducees were attacking the apostles and their message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were really ticked off. They thought they were done with this Jesus guy. Well, didn't we kill him? Did we crucify him? And now he's now now this the apostles are back healing people, claiming it's Jesus doing it, and and and, and, and stressing the resurrection of the dead. And and so now they're haunted by Jesus, not only haunted by Jesus, but with the res, the resurrection belief is now haunting them even more. And that's why in verses three and four, back to Acts chapter four, verses three and four. Look what they do. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. That's just the men. You had the women in, you had the children in, and you see what's happening. Kaboom. Kaboom. In just a couple of days, a couple of chapters, it's exploding. They put Peter and John in prison, but they can't put the Holy Spirit in prison. Remember that in the USA today. All the laws in the world can't stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can't stop it. They're up to 5,000 5, men because the apostles, they couldn't stop because the apostles are witnessing in the Holy Spirit's power. And the Holy Spirit's power. But they still tried. They still tried. And look what they, it says here, verse 5. Uh, the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, there we go. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had this, it's 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 a, the mafia, right? It says a religious mafia here, right? Verse seven. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? So we see that uh, that uh, they they're trying to stop him, right? 
which brings us, they're trying to cancel them, right? But which brings us to the apostles witnessing in the spirit and some lessons. We're going to look at these next few verses and see how they witnessed in the spirit's power and lessons for us. This is evangelism witnessing lessons for us. Verse 8 through 11. I'm going to read that next. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's why I called it spirit-filled witnessing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for the act of, act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, right out of the book of, of Psalms, right? And so Peter says, look at verse 8 again. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled witnessing is the key to evangelism. It's not, oh, I've got to do this, or, oh, you know, uh, you know, I'm afraid to do this. It's spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. And watch what spirit-filled looks like. When we're spirit-filled witnessing, look what it looks like. Look what the Spirit led him to preach. Verse 10. Verse 10. Then know this. He's spirit-filled. Verse 8. Verse 10. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but... Whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. The crucifixion and the resurrection. The crucifixion and the resurrection. He was preaching the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this should be our whole goal in witnessing. If we share nothing else, if we don't get any, anything else in, if we, not any other word we could squeeze in, if we do that, we have done our job, our job. In fact, that's what Paul says. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 2, where he says this. He says, wait, where did I turn to? 1 Corinthians 2. Oh, okay, sorry. I had the wrong paper in the wrong place. Uh, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's it. We make witnessing so hard. We make it so scary. Remember this. Remember this when you're witnessing. A very wise, wise man said this one to me. He said, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. You've all heard that. I'm joking. Uh, Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple. It's the cross and the resurrection. John 3.16. Why do I always use John 3.16? Because it's, it's everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And, and all we have to do is quote that verse and explain God loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And if we will just believe in him, and the word believe in, 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 in is, 
doesn't mean just in your head. It means to believe in your heart. It means to say, I don't want sin anymore. I want Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus to forgive me. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, won't go, die and go to hell, but will spend eternity with Jesus someday. That's the simple gospel. And, and just, just keep it simple. But, yeah, but, but what about the hard questions? What about apologetics? Yes, it's good to get equipped. It's good to get equipped. You know, Josh and I talk about this all the time. It's so important to be equipped how to answer the hard questions. But he and I were just talking about this at lunch this week. <clears throat> it's important to get equipped. <clears throat> but the bottom line, the bottom line is that, get this, apologetics, answering those hard questions, isn't for evangelism. It's for believers. Did you, ever, did you know that? It's not for, you're not going to convince anybody to become a Christian because you answered a hard question. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the one who pulls. He's the one who draws. He convicts. Apologetics is for believers. You want, you want proof? In the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Acts 18. In Acts 18, talking about Apollos. Apollos, we're going to get there someday. Uh, Acts 18, verse 27. Uh, this year, this year. All right. Well, within the year. All right, verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and he wrote to the, and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Who did he strengthen with his apologetics? The believers who by grace had believed. By grace, God opens our eyes and calls us and pulls us. And if this is happening, you don't have to answer all the hard questions. John 3, 16 is enough. That's all you need if the Holy Spirit's working. And then after someone comes to Christ, then you start dealing with those hard questions and you strengthen people's faith after that using uh, apologetics and the word of God and the philosophical answers and all that. It's for, uh, apologetics strengthens the faith of believers. But when you are witnessing, don't get pulled down rabbit holes. Because people love to use rabbit holes. What about the hypocrites? And what about this? What about the guy in Africa, you know, the deep dark Africa who never heard blah, blah, blah. They love rabbit holes. They want to pull you down. Yes, acknowledge those hard questions. And, you know, give them, and, and if you have the time, you know, answer them best you can. But, but cut to the chase. Make sure you get in John 3.16. And after that, then, and, and a lot of times I'll say to people, because I know they're just smoke and mirrors, I'll say, if I answer that question, will you be ready to put your faith in Jesus? Because I can easily answer this question. Easily. It's right in the Bible. But if I do, are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Guess what? <laughs> Usually, no, because it's not really about that, is it? They're just showing up smoke and mirrors. That's all they're doing. Uh, the, the real issue for them is, are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit pulling you and drawing you? That's the real key. So stick to the gospel message, which is exactly what the apostles do in Acts chapter 4. Look right after this. Look at verse 12, what they say right away. How do they answer? They don't start trying to argue and answer apologetic questions and, and, and convince these, these Jewish religious leaders. And I'm not picking on Jews because the apostles are 
Jewish, right? They're Jewish. Whenever you see the word the Jews in the Bible, they're talking about the Jewish religious leaders that were against Jesus. They're not talking about the Jewish people. The apostles were Jewish. The early church was 100% Jewish, right? It's not about the Jewishness. It's about the Jewish religious leaders that were anti-Christ. That was the issue. That's how the Bible uses that term, okay? Anyway, uh, stick to the gospel message. That's what they do. Verse 12. They stick to the gospel message. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to, hem, hep, given to men by which we must be saved. Stick to that message. There is only one way to be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That is the whole key. There's one way to be saved through Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Jesus Christ himself said. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through me. Beautiful. Beautiful. There is one way to God. There is one way to heaven. And the Bible tells us exactly what that way is. It's only through Jesus. And it tells us exactly how to get there. By putting our faith in Jesus. John 3.16, for God so I'm gonna say it again, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's only by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That is his one notice that whoever for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Acts four twelve, John fourteen six, one and only, one name. No other way. It, it, it's, it's all there in John 3.16. In the USA, they tell us there are many ways to heaven. Many, many, many ways. Uh, you take your pick. You're going to get there. It's all getting to the same place. Same guy, just lots of different... The Ro- Rome said the same thing. Rome had many gods. Many, many gods. Uh, they said the same thing. It doesn't matter. They, <clears throat> the, the only ones who said something different were, was Jesus... And his apostles, they said, no way. There is one way. And the same goes for us in the USA. Today, so many, 50% of born-again Christians think you can get to heaven without Jesus. 50, 50%. You know what that means? Only 50% are born-again Christians. You know? The others are not. You know, it's called apostasy, fake, fraud, okay, counterfeit, all right? And so <clears throat> there's one way. There's one way to God. It's the same way in Jesus' time, in Rome, in the USA today. There is one way. Jesus said it. Don't blame me. It's Jesus. Blame him, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so we share the cross and the resurrection. We stress that there is one way, one way and one name, Jesus Christ. And one last key I want to focus on before we wrap up here is, is in verses 13 and 14. We see something else that really jumps out here. <clears throat> when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow. Verse 14 says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Powerful, powerful. Our lives are the key. People may not read the Bible. Good chance they won't read the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but they will see our lives. They will read our lives. They can see our lives. And look at verse 14. They... 
when they, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. You can't argue with a changed life. They may not like it, but they can't argue it, right? They can attack everything we say, but they can't attack our, attack our story. They can't attack our testimony. They can't deny it if our lives are different. They can't, they can't deny that. That's why they try to squelch. That's why they try to squelch the change stories out there. And I, I use a real common one. Did you know that a lot of people have come out of the homosexual lifestyle? Many thousands upon thousands of people are coming out of the homosexual lifestyle. And not only that, transgender lifestyle. There are many, many transgender people are getting surgery back again. Because they found Jesus and they didn't find what they were looking for, but they found Jesus. There's many, many, many stories. I don't know if you follow the, the different Christian news sites because you won't see it on, you know, CNN. Oh, I, I meant news. I didn't mean I can't use that. Uh, you won't see it in the, most of the media, but you have to be on the Christian sites. And the, the testimonies are powerful. People coming out, but the regular media will not report it. In fact, they try to deny it. They try to squelch it. They try to, you know, say that's not true. They're just denying who they are. You know, okay. They don't like it when people, uh, you know, they they don't like it when people come out for a second time. They like the first coming out, but they don't like the second coming out, the second Exodus when they come out of that life and they find Jesus Christ. But the proof in these lives is powerful, powerful stories. Of people being transformed, transgenders, homosexuals, and then all every everything else, right? I'm just using that as a lightning rod, as an obvious one. But they don't want that story to be told because it doesn't fit their narrative. But it fits the narrative of God's word. We're in First Corinthians six nine to eleven, which I hope you have this one memorized uh, by now because we use it so many times. First Corinthians six nine to eleven, where it says, "Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, thank you, I had to squint there, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't be deceived. If any of those things are your identity, not that we don't struggle, we all struggle with temptation, right? We're going to struggle till the day we die, till we get to heaven. Doesn't mean if you struggle with temptation or you, 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 we battle those things or slip sometimes, that, that's not what this is talking about. That's talking about people who make that their identity. Anything on that list and anything, any sin that we make our identity. You cannot be a Christian and say that's your identity. It's impossible. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And we know that's what we were. Yeah, and Satan tries to pull us down. Our flesh tries to pull us down. The world tries to pull us down. But we just keep getting back up again because that's not who I am. That's who I was. That's who we were, but we are washed, sanctified, justified, just as if I never sinned. No matter what we get hit with today from our past, no matter what temptation, no matter even we slip again, doesn't, that's not who we, we are because we've been justified just as if I never sinned in God's sight. Sanctified. Sanctified. Washed. And we just go right back to God again and say, God, forgive me. 
When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and our sins are forgiven, it's not just the sins that we committed in the past. It's the sins that we're going to be committing that day. It's the sins that we're going to commit in the future. They're forgiven. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't buy the lie that if we struggle with something, that's who you are. It's not who we are. It's who we were if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't want anybody to know that. They want people to think, well, that's who you got to be forever. You're just in denial. I'm like, I'll tell you who's denying. It's crazy. The truth is, the truth is we can live a changed life. Not perfect, but progressing. We can live a changed life, and no one can argue with that. And the key to that changed life and staying changed is verse 13. Acts 4, 13, where it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What's the key? Don't get educated. That's the key. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to school. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. No. With Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that was the key. That was the key, and that's the key for us. The, the, the key to a changed life and a powerful witness is time spent with Jesus. Time in his word. Time in prayer, time and worship, letting the Holy Spirit fill us. That's the key to a transformed life and a spirit-empowered, powerful witness. The apostles were just ordinary guys. They were, I'd say they're below average, wouldn't you? Would you pick them for your team? The only one who had anything good going for him was Judas. He's the only successful one, right? He at least knew how to handle money. You get my point. They were below par, subpar, below average. But they spent time, these ordinary men spent time with an extraordinary Jesus. And that was the key. That was the key. They, that's why the apostles in the New Testament church, they got it. Why they turned the world upside down. Amazing. The first couple hundred years of the crazy evangelism that went on. It, and that's what impacted as they knew the secret spirit-powered, empowered worship and spending time with Jesus. And, and it just kept on going from the apostles on. In fact, I saw um, Celsus, his view of Christianity and Christian. Christians, some of you might not know who Celsus was. He was a Greek writer in the second century who criticized Christianity as a threat to the stable communities and worldview that the pagan religions and social systems sought to uphold. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He was a vicious opponent of Christianity. He attacked them for their witnessing. And listen to what he said. You want to know what they were like? The enemies. Of the church are the best source of what Christians were like. Listen to this. I'm just going to read you just a little blip. He said, He said, We see indeed in private houses workers in wool and leather and fullers. He's saying, We see these cobblers and, and laundry workers. And then he says, And persons of the most uninstructed and rustic character. Illiterate yokels. When they get hold of the children privately and certain women as ignorant as themselves. The dumb kids and the stupid women. 
This is how they viewed. This is how they viewed. You know, this is the Roman world, the Greek world. When they get a hold of the children privately and certain women as ignorant as themselves, they pour forth wonderful statements. These basically saying these astonishing stories they tell that, that, that they may attain to perfection. And by words like these, they gain them over. They persuade them. He's saying it actually works. Crazy, huh? What's he describing? Acts chapter 4, 12 and 13. It's still going. And it's still going today in the world today. I was reading about China, and this was a couple years ago, but talking about China's most wanted. I saved the, the article, and I don't remember which art, what magazine I got. I just have one page here. But it talks about China's most wanted. It has their pictures with their church buildings knocked flat. And it says three leading house church leaders, all of them uneducated peasant farmers, <laughs> Bob, farmers, have been tortured. Uh, rep- oh, no, uh, here we go. Representing millions of Chinese Christians. These three guys. Representing millions of Chinese Christians. They have their pictures and their names and their ministries. Have been tortured and are now fugitives of the feared Public Security Bureau. Does that sound familiar? Public Security Bureau? We're dealing with that now, aren't we? That, but it's still going on today. These uneducated guys. How about us? How about in the USA today? Are we dumb enough to witness? Are we dumb enough to witness like the New Testament Christians, like the apostles? Are we willing to look stupid in the world's eyes? That's what it's going to take. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18, where it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Are we willing to look foolish? Will we preach but will we preach the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Focus on that. Will we focus on that? Will we preach it with resurrection power? Will we witness with resurrection power? Do we believe Jesus is the only way? Will we, will we witness like we really believe that people's eternal life, Eternity is at stake on what we share. Well, we believe that because it doesn't get any more clear. We didn't make this stuff up. Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Not many people are going to be in heaven. Not every way leads to God. If Jesus is true, if Jesus is right, if Jesus who created heaven and hell is right, there's one way. It's through Jesus. 
Will we spend time with Jesus, with his word, with worship, with, with prayer? Will we spend time with him, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and to transform us so that we can show others the power of the gospel? Will we depend on him to empower us to share the gospel with power? Will we make this our way of life? This is just, this is our new focus. Not pre-pandemic life, but this, our focus. Will we make that our focus? Who is God putting on your heart right now to pray for and to look for that opening? And, and before I go to prayer, I want to say this. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been transformed and filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? There's one way, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, filling us? speaking to us, convicting us. Maybe you are here or listening to this wherever you are and you know that you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never repented of your sin and asked God to forgive you. You can do that now. It's a simple but powerful prayer of faith that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, convicting you, pulling you. Do it now. Now is the day of salvation. The simple prayer of faith, but the powerful prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. Everything in my life that has broken my relationship with you, I turn away from that. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for me to pay for my sin. His resurrection from the dead to give me a brand new life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, whether you're here in this room or you're watching this live or whether you're listening in your cars, wherever you are, if you have prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing, incredible has happened to you. Your life will never be the same. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And now when you open the Bible, it's going to be on fire. When you hear a worship song, it's going to just be alive for you. When you go back to your old life and try to go back to your old sins, it's going to be blah. 
It's going to be repulsive. It's not going to fulfill you in any way. After a little jolt, you're just going to be like, what did I do? This is empty. Because the Holy Spirit is now in you. You're a new creation in Christ. Your life will never be the same. This life here on earth and in eternity in heaven someday. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. A family member. A friend. Someone here. Someone you know is a Christian. Tell somebody. Tell me on the way out. So that we can be excited for you and help you grow. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Who has he put on our heart and mind to to share the gospel with power? How is God convicting us to start to live out the gospel through a transformed life? Maybe we're being convicted about spending time with Jesus. We're not on fire because we're not spending time with him. His word, worship, prayer. Our commitment is, God, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move with a powerful revival. And we pray that we would be part of that revival in your church. Pray that many people would be touched by each person in this room and the witness of each person in this room, the life of each person in this room. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.